we're just talking to five TWA flight attendants who have, shall we say, gone through certain stages in their lives of learning and awareness, and members of the, of the Federation of Flight Attendants, Independent Federation. And they've been on strike for some time, and it's a powerhouse of a company. And here they are, the five holding their own. And then, you know, it's uh, Marsha Rouse and Marla Santucci and Barbara Smith and Cappy Long and Joy Turkle, T-E-R-K-E-L, incidentally. No relation. <laughs> so as we're talking, let's start. Uh, Marsha, Marsha Rouse, who are you? We begin this because you five and your colleagues have been holding out quite a while. It's been quite a battle. What made you five as stubborn and you know, gallant as you are? We've got to start with this. I come from a Polish background. My grandfather and my grandmother on both sides were Polish immigrants. And I saw my grandfather fight for everything he wanted. My father, middle class, blue collar worker. My mother didn't work very much, she sold Avon's. And uh, I wanted more, so I went to TWA. And I had more until this happened. This is but where, uh, I'm sorry, I mean interrupt, where, where? I was born on, in the suburbs in Chicago. Chicago. And uh, now I have three children that I'm supporting by myself. And whatever it takes, we'll fight for. It's not easy. But I thought, you asked the question, who am I? That's the question I'm asking myself because I'm coming up with stuff that I never knew I had in me. And I like it. <laughs> These new people that we are. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been flying with these ladies for, well, I'm in my 19th year, and I thought I knew them, but I didn't. I think now more than friends, we're like a family. It's brought us closer together. Uh, anybody else? It's the strike that brought you together. The strike brought us together. Now, how long has the strike been going on now? Since March 6th, Since March 1986, we went out. For four months or so. But I'll go back. Uh, you've had, it was a working class family, I mean, blue collar, your blue father collar. did. Did he work in a plant? He worked in a plant, he worked for Ellis Chalmers. He was in a union. My grandfather was in a union, he was a pressman or something. Uh, he, tool and dye maker. Tool and dye maker. Tool and dye maker. These are hard working guys, union by UAW in mm -hmm. this case, because Ellis Chalmers. So your mother took care of the house or? My mother took care of the house and she, she at first she worked there, and then when she had us, she took care of yeah. us in the house, and then she always had some kind of side business, Avon or something like that. But they ever talk about things outside politics or the world? What, how well, are they, they inclined? Were, they were always inclined to be strictly Democrats, uh. but I have say in the last 10 years, I saw my father do an, a real about face. Really? Mm -hmm. How is that? Well, now he just is, he said he's just for the party whatever party is he feels that he identifies most with. But we went from a strictly Democratic family to, I, I, if, it, if I, you asked me now who he would vote for, I wouldn't know. I mean, he's- Oh, I thought you meant he went to Republicans. He went to the, yeah, he's been, or he would yeah. vote Republican. Yeah. But he said he can't claim either one now. Neither he's party. He's bipartisan. Yeah, neither party, yeah. But we'll come back. So fairly, not conservative background, it was union background, mm -hmm. but not, Militant. Not militant yeah. union. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Barbara, Barbara Smith. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. Well, I have a very similar background. Um, I'm a Polish. Uh, my grandparents uh, came from Poland, so I'm uh, all Polish. I'm Catholic. Uh, my father was a assistant uh, manager in the shoe department at Saks Fifth Avenue, and my mother worked for a while at Osten Drug Company and then quit and then never got a job after that. So um, I was raised in uh, the city of Chicago on the northwest side of the city. Went to a Catholic grammar school and high school. And uh, my family was very conservative. They did talk about um, politics and racial problems and all that, but it was very, I think, a very biased outlook. They, I always got the impression my mother voted for somebody because he looked nice and he was married and had four kids. And I don't think she really understood the issues. She was not a very knowledgeable person um, because she did have to go to school early in life, so she didn't, didn't get a lot of education. And I, I thought the same thing. I said, I'm not staying here. 
I have to do better. I have to do better with myself. And I did. I definitely improved my life by becoming a flight attendant. I'm going to ask about that. Mm -hmm. like a, a flight attendant. So they're from a conservative family. Yes. I, yes. My father died when I was young, too. I was in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And then my mother remarried, and my stepfather was basically the same. Oh, fairly religious? Um, fairly, yes, definitely religious. Yeah. Definitely religious. Uh, Marsh, just to go before Marla, talk. parochial school? Catholic, yeah. Polish, religious, okay. same background. Marla Santucci. Well, I'm from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and I'm basically from uh, German and Dutch descent. My mother was raised in a very strict Dutch family. Very, very restrictive, especially with, uh, with the girls. And uh, my father... Dutch Reformed. Dutch Reformed, right. And my father was from a German family. My grandfather was actually in management for a furniture <clears throat> company uh, in town. And my father went into the service. And when he came out, he got married to my mother, and she got pregnant with me. And uh, my father went into a laborer's job with uh, armor leather and stayed there for 39 years. And he was very democratic. And he was very uh, union-oriented. He was always a steward, very militant, very one-sided. Always saw one side and fought for the side that he really supported. My mother, she was always dissatisfied. She wanted more, but she wasn't willing to go out and get it herself. So it was always with my mother what she, what she could have done if, you know. So I listened to that for a long time, and I went to a... Uh, parochial grade school, Lutheran, and then a public high school, and then I went for two years of college. And uh, when I was 15 years old, I wrote a career paper mm. on becoming a flight attendant because I knew if I did anything, I wanted to be out of this whole environment. I mean, the city, the family, you know, I wanted to do more. So I thought, well, I'm not going to be like my mother. I'm going to say I'm going to do more, and I'm going to go out and do it, and I did it. And, and things fell really well for me. They really came together the whole way. And so now I'm at this point where I'm like, I've got to make things come together again. And it's scary. It's a lot more scary now than it was before. But um, they always voted Democrat, although my mother would never tell you who she voted for. How many kids in your family? Two. My sister's seven years younger than I am. And, uh, um, two. My brother's Barbara. sister's older than I am. Yeah, two. And two. My sister and is four years younger than I am. Yeah. She also is a flight attendant for TWA. Really? Now, so far, we've come to something, flight attendants, as a way out mm -hmm. of whatever life your parents may have had. Okay. Joy Turkle. Well, I'm from a very, very small town outside of Pittsburgh called Paintertown. Called what? Paintertown. Paintertown. We had 175 people. <laughs> didn't have street signs, and it didn't have sidewalks. Um, I come from uh, a German, Austrian, and Italian background. Uh, depending on what relative you talk to, they may say Czechoslovakian, German, and uh, Italian. But uh, my parents were always very conservative. Uh, they were not union people. Your father worked? The, no. My father worked for Westinghouse for a very short time, went into the service, came back, and my grandfather had opened up a small... Into the family. service. This would be during... During the war. During World War II? Mm-hmm. Oh, World War II, right. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, when my grandfather opened the business, my father went there, and he worked for him as a salesman and kind of a manager. And when we were very little, uh, my mother didn't work, and then later on she started working for my grandfather as a bookkeeper. But my mother was a very independent person in our family. Um, before she was married, she worked as a detective at Garfinkel's in Washington and things like that. So she's the stronger person in the family. They won't like me saying this on tape, but That's <laughs> she's right. much I'm, more I'm an alternate. This is uh, a long way to go. Right. He's got years <laughs> of And um, I come from, my mother is a Catholic. My father is Lutheran. Uh, we were raised as Catholics. I have two sisters, one older and one younger. Uh, we're very different. Um, I went to college for a year and a half because I was very good in art. I liked art, but I didn't want to be an art teacher. And we couldn't afford for me to go to New York to Pratt Institute for um, design. And so I elected for a college nearby, Indiana University of Pennsylvania. And I didn't like it. I didn't want to be a teacher. That's what that was for. And I didn't want the everyday thing. 
came home. I went up to register one day, came home, didn't register, and had to break it to my parents, which was one of the hardest days of my life, to tell them I wasn't going back to school. And uh, within a week, I applied for the job at TWA. And I was too young. So they, had to, they made me wait uh, four months till I turned yeah. 20, and now they hire people at 18. Yeah, you had to be 20. You then. had to be 20 then. Well, come to that. So talking to uh, uh, Cappy Long. I was born in Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock. Yes. Very conservative town. Yes. Both my parents are uh, good Southern Baptist, German background. I have one brother who's younger. And uh, we moved to Albuquerque when I was about five because both of them come from families of ten and too many relatives coming around for Sunday dinner for a young couple to uh, continue that. So we moved out of town. My dad worked for Allstate Insurance most of his life. My mom worked in the home and for a short time worked in a department store to help out when they first bought up their first big home. And um, conservative backgrounds, believed in hard work, saving your money, not involved in politics in any way. Democrats, if if you had to pick a party probably, but uh, I don't remember any political discussions. I don't remember any opinions one way or another on unions, so it wasn't a union background at all. I left uh, to fly because I, I thought the idea of the uh, seeing the world was important. Encouraged by my parents, no problem for doing it. But I didn't feel that I had to leave town or get out or get away. It was, yeah. just sounded exciting to me. You know, this is interesting. If I, I have very little to say because this is building. I can see it. Now. The homes are those a background fairly conservative. And that is some Democratic and some uh, more conservative than others, but apolitical, generally speaking. Typical, hard-working, good-working background people come to that. And now we pick up flight attendant. So how old were you, Marcia? I had my 20th birthday in training. I started flying. I flew for about five years. And then I got married, had my first child, had my second child, had my third child. And then the job started to look different. Oh. When I first started, like everyone else, we wanted to travel, be free, meet people. And then I realized that, uh, especially after my last child, you know, this, after deregulation, it didn't look very safe. So I said, well, I think maybe I better go back to school. Of course, that caused a lot of marital problems. And I needed the job then. I wasn't doing it before, like, as a whim. I mean, remember when I first started studs, some people say, well, how much money do you make? I don't know. I didn't care. All I wanted to do is get my uniform on and be free and go. I didn't care where I went or how long it was. But it changed the responsibility, and now I need the job. I really need the job now. <laughs> so when, when you first started, uh, it was glamorous work. It was the excitement of the work. You didn't question anything about it. I didn't question anything. I just liked people. I didn't care if they were big, short, tall, who they were, men, females, males. I yeah. just... I just liked being around people and interesting. One day you're with talking to a movie star, the next day you're with a politician, the next day you're helping some lady who's going to a funeral. I liked that. Yeah. I liked the change. Yeah. Barbara, you know, uh, Marsha was talking about bang from the home she was and you the home you were, flight attendant. So what was your first? Well, I was in my second year of college and um, Life at home was not real exciting, and I, there was constant battles with my mother and stepfather at that time, and I really was looking for a way out. And so, by coincidence, I was downtown Chicago, and I saw the uh, advertisement, went in purely to get information, and all of a sudden it snowballed, and I took the test, and I was hired. I was 19 years old, and... Um, they asked when I could start flying, and I said uh, I would like to finish the quarter of my second year out, and said that I would come in June. And I turned 20 in June, and I went to training. And like Marsha, it was we hardly made any money. I mean, it was like really, uh, we could have been on welfare, <laughs> gotten food stamps, but it was fun. I went to Los Angeles. I was uh, based in LA first. Didn't know a soul. Met a lot of nice people, um, flew a lot. You know, I really worked. I was gone away from home a lot, but it was exciting. It was fun. I'm not the nine to fiver. I'm not the 
sit at one desk for the rest of my life. I enjoyed, even that, though it does get into a routine, it's still a different face. It's still a different flight. And next week, it's going to be a different city. And I really like that kind of lifestyle. Uh, Marla? Uh, well, I start, I did the same as, as uh, Barbara and Marsha. I went to college for about a year and a half. And <clears throat> I went to college strictly because I was not old enough to go into the airlines. So I figured I'll go to school for two years, year and a half or so. And then when I'm old enough, I'll apply. So that's what I did. And it was a strict move, strictly a move to get out of Sheboygan, Wisconsin with some money. With a, with a guaranteed income. So I went to training when I was 20, and I moved to New York from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, without having ever been anywhere else. So that was a real shock. And we lived five to an apartment. And like they said, we didn't have any money. And we ate bagels. I mean, we had a bagel store that had 150 different kind of bagels, and we ate 150 bagels <laughs> <laughs> within the first month, I think, you know. And uh, we, But it was the same way. We had a good time. But, you know, it, it always seemed like things were going to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, so we're not making any money now, but in a year we're going to get a raise, and then another year. And I was never one to look at quitting in two years, where a lot of people really did back then in 1970, in the 60s. They looked, well, we'll do this for two years, and then we'll meet someone, and we'll get married, and we'll we'll uh, go on. But I never really looked at that, so I always looked at things getting better. Oh, well, I only get a week's vacation now, but then in a year or two I'll get two weeks. Well, it's not like that anymore. Things are getting worse. You know, and it's it's real tough mm-hmm. to make that climb and then all of a sudden sink into, you know, somewhere where you can't climb back Let's up again. Let's pick up on that's important. You know, as we come back, we go to Joy and then to Cappish, come back to what uh, Marla was just saying about things changing. Mm-hmm. That instead of great expectations, less expectation or something happening. That's what we're talking about. Joy. I didn't come to this job. I don't think it was because I thought about it beforehand. It was when I quit school and I felt guilty uh, about quitting school because this was something that was important to my parents and I just did not like it. Wasn't working up to my full capacity. I wasn't happy. So when I came home and broke the news that I wasn't going back to uh, college, my parents uh, said, well, you're not going to sit around here and do nothing. And uh, this was one of the first ads I saw in the paper and I went down and applied for it. Uh, being from a small town, I was very shy. And, uh, but I'm stubborn as no. the devil. <laughs> and uh, so I took the job. I hated it at the beginning because I was away from home. I was away from everything I knew. Nobody thought I could do it. And I think that's why I stayed the first six months was because everybody told me I couldn't do it. I was too quiet. It still has in my file at TWA that uh, I wouldn't make it through the first six months because I was too quiet. And... Uh, this changed me. It made me much more open. Uh, I learned to work with other people. I lived in a small town where you knew everybody and everything. Nothing was strange. And you come out to this job and everything is strange. You're in strange cities, strange hotels, um, just a whole different area. And I loved it once I got into it. Um, I had my mother's backing all the way. She'd say, if you want to come home, I'll let you come home, but you don't really want to do that. Yeah. You know, she. She pushed me into yeah. staying those first six months. And I found out that this is really what I wanted to do because I'm not one, just like Barb, to sit behind a desk um, every day. I need, I like to be doing things. Mm. Uh, the money was extremely bad. My take-home pay was $75 every two weeks. Mm. And my rent was $75 for a month. So I had 75 to pay the rent and 75 to live the rest of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, there were six of us lived in one apartment on Delaware and Rush in the Delaware Towers. We stayed there two months, and I said, oh, all this concrete, I have to go to the suburbs. And I moved to the suburbs within two months. This is before the union came into being, when you were no. getting that No, no, years. we had a union. You had a union. We did not have <coughs> this particular union. Yeah. Uh, we were with ELSA. And, uh, that's the uh, American, that's the pilot's. No, that's no. This, well, sort of. It was some. It was, it was a branch with a lot of airlines. We had Eastern in with us and American and quite a few. And uh, before that, it was the pilots, and they didn't really want us. So that's when ELSA was formed. And uh, then this, in nine years ago, we went into the Independent Federation of Flight Attendants and became our own union. We're the only ones who are represented, and we're the only ones we're considering. Uh, before, we were always pushed on the back burner. When you're with the Teamsters or uh, anyone else, or... you were put 
bottom of the list because yeah. you didn't have as many people. Yeah. Cappy, pick up your story. Well, I was in college, and I was enrolled in the second year. I sat down and went to all my classes, and every one of them started assigning all the uh, homework I was supposed to do that night, and I thought about it and decided that didn't sound like a lot of fun. And in the paper that night, there was an ad saying TWA was interviewing in Albuquerque, and I went for the interview and uh, got the job. I was the youngest person in my class, and in my file said it was questionable whether I would last or not to because, like Joy, I was very shy. First time away from home was my flight on TWA for the job interview in Kansas City. And I went to training. I was the youngest one there as well, and it was a real homesick experience for me. I wrote seven letters a day to people and friends back home. My parents were afraid to call and say, oh, poor Cappy, because they thought I'd come on the plane and leave before I gave it a fair shot. So once I got out on the line, though, and had my first trip, it was on a DC-9, seven legs a day, up and down, up and down, and we got to the hotel. It was a 12-hour day, and I went to the room, and I'm sitting in the room, and I'm thinking, this is great. They're paying me <laughs> to be here. I'm getting money for this. Uh -huh. From the very minute, I liked the job, I liked the work, I liked the people, I liked everything about it, and it stayed that way. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was a wonderful yeah. experience. I wasn't you're, sorry at all. Yeah. I was glad my parents yeah. didn't say, you're, come home, Kathy. Yeah. And you're still good at writing letters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm still writing letters. You know, you all came from, I know it's hard-working backgrounds, you know, hard, steady. Oh, yeah. And flight attendant was that escape. Yep. for a world outside, right. glamorous. That's mm -hmm. a big hold on you. Now, did you, how'd you feel about unions? I have a suspicion about Barbara because of her parents. How'd you feel about you when you first joined? Did the word union, labor, you know, labor, did that have any uh, impact? I always thought no. of Teamsters. Um, you know? Yeah, Barbara? Teamsters. Oh, what, what were you saying? I was saying, I always, when you said labor to me, I always thought of Teamsters, truckers. And uh, that meant Dock what? workers, tough guys who got their way if they didn't get mm -hmm. it through a yeah. union meeting through their fist or whatever, you know. I didn't have a picture of an office worker being a union member. Or a flight attendant. Or a flight well, we had, we had to be a, Barbara. a union member because it's a closed shop. So we were automatically union members. Yeah. When you joined. Yes, mm -hmm. whether you wanted to be yeah. or not. And yeah. I don't think anybody even thought about it then. I mean, no. none mm -hmm. of us are troublemakers. We were responsible people. We did a great job. And we didn't. Ha I never had a problem. I never had to go to my union because I was never called in or for anything. Except at contract time. Then, you, you know, your union went in and negotiated. And I always got better than what I had before. So it was a positive experience. Yeah. But okay. you know, our union was never Happy. strong when we first started. So I can remember going to union meetings during contract negotiations and having our union reps stand up and say, well, girls, I fought as hard as you could, and I'm not getting paid. Our union reps were not paid a, a special salary just to be union reps. They were regular flight attendants mm -hmm. who had to work a trip and then on their own time handle union problems. And I can remember being in a union meeting and having one of them say, you better take this contract, gals, because I'm sick of spending my personal time negotiating it, so vote or else. So it wasn't even like a union. It was more like a, a social organization. Mm. You know, I didn't feel the strength of, mm -mm. of being in a union at, at, when I was first with the company. It took years before I started. Mm. Was was that right. when you were with who? TWU. <coughs> TWU. TWU. Oh, yeah. And that's when we realized that they were selling us down the river. Mm -hmm. I never knew anything about the union. I always thought the union is something somebody else does, and yeah. you get the benefits. Yeah. So I was willing to go along for the ride until... We figured out that TWU was selling us down the river. TWU is transport, what? Transport Workers Union. That's what you belonged to before <coughs> this current. Right. That was after ELSA, and then we belonged to TWU. After ALPA. ELSA. ELSA is what? The American? Airline Stewardesses. Steward and Stewardesses Association. Oh, I see. Steward and Stewardess. But you felt, when did you? Well, now, I realized. I realized you at that time, you, I mean. you know, I too never was a troublemaker. My yeah. supervisor was going to fire me because I was unorganized in the galley, and she never flew with me. And I thought that, what is this bureaucracy, this management, what are they talking about? But when the union was, I figured somebody else did it. And then all of a sudden, we got a bad contract. And that brought it to my attention. Wait a minute. You better start paying attention here. This is your future. After a while, you could see that you were going to be in the job. And... Uh, then we formed together. Well, you we know, the contract that. that did it is the one where the TWU workers came up before us and said, uh, look, we've got a wonderful package for you. It only handles uh, a pay raise and uh, maybe a little better vacation. And we said, well, what about our work rules? What about our, our, our actual 
how long our hours are at work, how much sleep we get when we're away from home, how many days we have to be gone from home. And they looked at us and said, what does that mean? Because they were used to truckers who were only interested in more pay, and that wasn't what we were interested in. And then the guy says, well, we'll have to think about that. And the next day when we left the meeting, there was already a newspaper ad published in the company paper with our union reps shaking hands with the company people saying congratulations, congratulations. on settling the contract, <laughs> and I hadn't even got to vote on it yet. Now, now we're coming to something interesting starting to question authority. You who never mm -hmm. questioned, but right. you accepted, right? Right, you what accepted is. what they had. <clears throat> this is the package. Uh, you have to be in the union. You didn't even know what the union meant. You didn't know what yeah. you got for that. Well, I was kind of we an exception to, to, right. to right. the story because my father was very union, and he was yeah. a union steward. Yeah. And my father was never real close to us as children. <laughs> so when I went with TWA, right away, my father was interested what's the contract look like and, and what are your work rules and and you belong to a union and so this was a real avenue of communication between my father and myself and we treated each other like peers so I was very conscious of that the ah, whole time yeah. I was conscious of the uh, mechanics had a short strike in 1970 I knew just what was going on and I was brand new I was only six months you know with the company but I was the exception. You see, Barbara's background is a little it's different. Marla. It's her Marla. father. Yeah, was a militant kind of guy. He was union conscious, so she had... But in your case, you four, something Women else here. That uh, she immediately, she came with a certain feeling. Well, it was just, knowledge. She had knowledge. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. part of, of my life. Yeah. So, well, you know, yeah. from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, with the Kohler strike, too. That's right. I lived she uh, came a from strike a, all my youth. A union you town. Know, so. right. The first time I became aware of unions was I started in 1965 in the summer, and the next summer in 1966, five major carriers went out, the mechanics went out. And that's the first time I learned about unemployment. Uh, I learned you have to save money because things like this happen. <laughs> I mean, I had to with the airlines. I never knew anything about strikes because we didn't have my my grandfather couldn't fire my father. He needed him, and my father couldn't go on strike. He was management, and my mother worked for him. It was one happy family, and so you didn't know about strikes. And all of a sudden, I was out of a job, and they were out, I believe, something like forty-six days, on that that amount of time. And, but I wasn't the striking party, so I got unemployment, and I thought, oh, well, that's not bad. It was only $50, but it covered my car payment. And uh, the place that I lived was mostly flight attendants, and so the management said, don't worry about your rent until this is over. You know, so it really wasn't bad. Uh, but I became aware of what was going on, and that's when I realized that I, I have to start putting money away. When you only get $75, it doesn't go very far, but at least I was putting $5 away. That's better than putting nothing away. Mm -hmm. Plus, um, back then, the, the airline shut down whenever you went mm -hmm. out on right. strike. There was no one crossing picket lines because yeah. nothing was operating. So you mm -hmm. knew eventually they'd have to give because how long mm -hmm. can you not operate? Mm -hmm. But there was also mutual aid. Uh, yes. Mutual That's aid. Marla. Marla, Marla. Marla. There's also no, get that. mutual aid because, uh, you know, the other the other airlines would pick up the revenue and then they would make a mutual aid pact and they would they would Divide share money. part of the port, part of the profits that they were mm -hmm. making because of yeah. the strike with the air, striking airline. So they were making money so they could afford to shut down. Yeah. They just shut down. They were making money and not having to fly the airline right. so they didn't well, have expenses. All of you were TWA, all your oh, flight. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. You don't but change jobs like no. you do in other You don't change If you're companies. an engineer, you can move to another company. Yeah. You don't hear. Oh, is that so? Oh, no. So. Now, flight attendants, you couldn't switch to no. United or American. You would American. lose all of your seniority and you would go in as an inexperienced... Oh, that's it. Brand this applies to the other airlines, yeah, too? Yeah, And it's right. kind of a... It's, it's rather a, a, a disability to you, too, because now United, if I go to United and I say, uh, well, I'm, I was with TWA, but I would like to come to work for your company, yeah. and they see that I worked for TWA for 16 years, they don't want me because I'm too indoctrinated in TWA's Now, wait a minute. This is like the reserve clause the baseball players fought and beat. You realize that? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. You're yeah, in the same position as the baseball players before yeah. the union right. was formed. We, you know, if, if they can't play, for, they won't play with this team, they're blacklisted. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what this amounts to, mm -hmm. doesn't mm -hmm. it? Sure. Basically, yes. Right. Basically. But, uh, you know, it's... And your experience doesn't count when you go it's with It's a them. detriment. It's, right. it's, again, you're going in and saying, well, I, I'm, I have a good figure and I can talk to people and I look fairly good. Do you now, want why doesn't that cars. experience? Because each of the airlines has a different well, image. Right, studs it's like cars. Much it's yeah. like mm -hmm. cars. Yeah. If you go, Porsche has a certain connotation with mm -hmm. it, or Mercedes has a certain mm -hmm. connotation. If you turn around and get a Volkswagen or a, you know, something. what is the connotation? TWA. 
girl next door. The girl That's next the girl door. Next door. The, mm-hmm. Oh, I when don't we think started. So. I think when we when started. started. Oh yes, when yes. I started was. You were second. It was the the wholesome look. The uh, that's T W. That I thought it was girl. more the international look. Yeah. I Definitely. thought it was something. Yeah. But see, like you came later. More yeah. of an international. Years ago. Yeah. You know. Now what is it with? It's interesting. Now for United, it's what more the sophisticated. Mm-hmm. No. Or is that American? No. I think that United is more of a. It's changed over yeah. the last. Yeah. See, we've Business. all been with a company for twenty years. Yeah, and now maybe I think really all the companies are pretty much the well, same. I'll, now. I'll give you an example. We're all slaves yeah. now. I lived. With, <laughs> I lived with three United right. roommates about three months after I started flying, and we lived together three years. And the one girl was a blonde, and she applied for TWA first because she wanted to fly internationally and United didn't. They would not take her because she was a blonde and she refused to change her hair color. And so United took her. She is a terrific flight attendant. She would have made a great flight attendant for us, but in 1965, you could not be blonde. And everybody wore the same lipstick, the same Same nail polish, the same hairstyle. You should see our graduating pictures. We just look like the same person. (laughs) (laughs) All 20 of us. So today, of course, there's less uniformity. (laughs) Right. Right. Thanks to the unions, I suppose. Oh, yes. Yes. Definitely. Back Mm -hmm. then, you couldn't be married. You couldn't have children. You had to quit at a certain age. Age. I mean, there are a lot of restrictions. Right. The weight that I am today, I would have never passed back then. I was hired with United, too, and I had to make a decision. I went with TWA on July Boy, 11th. Why did you blow it? I could have gone with United. Yeah. And, right, and I was supposed to start with United uh, the 7th of July. But I chose TWA for the, quote, international. Yeah. I wanted to be an international jet setter. I mean, when, when I started in 1968, the only glamorous jobs were you were a movie star. And if you couldn't be a movie star, you'd be a flight attendant because or you were a model. Ex- or, or a model. Yeah. And I bring about that model, my my mother always pushed me. I never wanted this modeling smile, and I thought it was phony. She pushed me into the Miss Illinois contest when I was 17 years old. Miss Illinois. Miss Illinois. I was 17 years old, never had a modeling lesson, and I was fourth runner-up. And I said, Mom, I don't like this. I, I think it's all phony. She said, oh, you, it's a good experience. You could go places. Well, we were behind, um, we weren't on camera yet, and when we were behind the scenes, one of the girls, Beverly Lasek got a big bouquet of flowers that said, congratulations, Miss Illinois. And we never even went out to find out who won. And I said, I realized then, I don't want this. And that's why I came to the airline. I thought that <coughs> it was too... Um, rigged. It was too rigged. And I thought, oh, if yeah. I'm in the airline studs, at least when I meet a movie star, you see, being up in that world, it's like a different place up there. Everybody is willing to tell you their feelings. And their, you have a... It's like being in a bar. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> Everybody you're thinking like, you'll never see this You're all in this little tube, right. and yeah. you know you're like. So the um, flight attendant was really in the category of the of the, the dream, the mm-hmm. dream. Right? Oh, in yeah. those times, the movie yeah. starlet the yeah. or model, yeah. a flight attendant. People, it's that world. Right. People yeah. aspire to be flight attendants, and they yeah. still do. And they yes. still do. They you can't still believe have that kind yes. of. We know in small town, in small town newspapers. I'm yeah, a star in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Yeah. So am I in my hometown. An unemployed star, but yeah, you're you're a star in Sheboygan, <laughs> yeah, and you're yeah. a star in your hometown. Absolutely, and I, they did a write-up in the a paper. Uh-huh. They local even paper. did right. exactly. not only the local paper, but I got a write-up and a full interview in the Pittsburgh uh, press, and also you know in this intersection. It's, yeah, it's because, worked that way now because when they went to hire the new hires to replace us, yeah. they went to rural America, the mm-hmm. Midwest. Where these people saw the glamour just like we did and were willing to work for $12,000 a year. And so that girl, who's a flight attendant, girl, young woman, becomes a star in that town because the glamour, yes. the daughter exactly. of so and so, of the, such and such a street. World. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I said, wow, it's like in my, town. my mm-hmm. daughter. They say, Absolutely. oh, you put our town on the map. Yeah. I mean, in their hearts. Yeah. That's how they feel. People are still impressed the by the uniform. Oh, yeah. We yes. were in City Hall all week in our civvies. And one day we walk in uniform and talk yeah. to the same people yeah. we've talked to all yeah. week. And it was, oh, the reaction hello. was totally, yeah. we, totally different. So More now, respect and everything. So now we come, now we pick up your own feelings. Now, you were impressed when you first became. And we were oh, the twenty-year-olds that are flying the now. Twenty-year-olds, that right. very <laughs> snazzy uniform and no, looking we very mm-hmm. glamorous and attractive, you know. And now, when did this other thing come into being? This questioning. The cause, I think. Hmm? 
I think, well, we were the first flight attendants ever to strike. We struck for 31 hours. And this TWA. Was one, what year? TWA. What? Um, this was in 1970. Was it 70? October of 70? Was that yeah. our strike? <coughs> it lasted 31 yeah, hours. Real short. That's and I think true. that was the first time that the companies started taking us seriously. Number one, they never thought we would strike. And to get it settled in 31 hours, you knew they had a contract, but they figured they won't strike, we'll get what we want. And that was the first time I ever really was involved with union work. I mean, I was out there the first night with my picket sign, and it was pouring rain, and you know it was terrible. And I thought, oh, do I have to do this forever? You know, this is this going to get settled? What's going to happen? I was in local. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was your feeling that first night on the picket line with a sign? Well, none of us knew what to do. Each of you that. None of us knew what to do. You've heard of men picketing and things like that, but we had people at the cargo area, we had people at the hangar area, and also at the terminal. And I remember I was at the hangar area, but the girls that were at uh, the cargo, what did you have coming in there? Truck drivers. And all of a sudden, what are we you had do people to truck out there <laughs> standing there in front of a huge truck stopping them. And it was like a sense of power. I remember oh, them yeah, coming power, back and definitely. saying, I can't believe this truck that I stopped. But it wasn't actually you. It was just what you represented. Right. We didn't even. We thought it was us. At that time. It was the fact that we had a, a sign there saying we are on strike. You you know you thought well it was my legs that's why they stopped. <laughs> no, it wasn't your legs. <laughs> it was the fact that you had a sign on, and all of a sudden you you found out what union meant. You know, it means this is a group that and sticks together. It's settled so quickly. And it and it was you know Gave to you our sense favor of power. favor that we thought wow this this is kind of nice. In 1973 <laughs> we said hey this worked great let's do this again for 43 right. days. No <laughs> wait didn't you feel didn't you feel first time that this is strange uh, this is not part of your way of life this is very alien to you. Oh absolutely. Carrying what was the, what was somebody in her case different her father but what was somebody carrying a picket line to you. Before oh, you joined the it was a team troublemaker. Trouble, yeah, you know, yeah. Troublemaker. that's what I want. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. troublemaker. Trouble because you never under you never realized what they were doing it for. You just saw them, and then you saw the police, and you know the you know, headlines. But you never understood was the meaning. Up, were you res I'm sorry. Were you respected authority? Mm -hmm. I always had, uh, you know, if my management people told me before a flight I had to stand on my head, I stood on my head because they were the manager. Mm -hmm. They're the boss. I was intimidated by that. So it was pretty daring to come out and, and, and go against the And then airline business is so full of rules and regulations. We have like thick the Army. books of, yeah, of, of everything we're supposed to do from the color eyeshadow to the color nylons. To, to go against that was really, you were taking a chance. Yeah. Let's pick up on what Cappy's saying here, that you never really challenged authority. No. I mean, you accepted, again, with the exception mm -hmm. in the case of, of uh, Marla here. But even there, probably to some extent, you oh, didn't sure, question yeah. authority. But the non-questioning authority, when did that person, each of you, start to say, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. These guys are not God. That's right. You know, wait a minute. Am I being had because this is grammar? You know when yeah. I felt that, I asked myself that question, when we went to the pilots as a group and we said, hey, we figured we were family because we were pals on the plane. We waited on them. We were told they supported us. They were in command of the airplane. And we went to them and said, TWU has sold us down the river. Can we be in your union? They said, no, we don't want you girls back then. And I think that is when I realized, wow, we better get somebody here we can either identify with. And if you couldn't identify with the Teamsters, we had to do it ourselves. I, at that time, realized we were up, going to have to fight for whatever we wanted. And that's when I think I jumped on the bandwagon. Now, the, let's, let's stick with this matter of pilots for a minute. They thought of themselves as superior to you. Yes, oh, did. Quote, but you have to remember, studs, just like, just like we referred to um, each flight attendant mm -hmm. in each airline having a certain connotation mm. at TWA. Our relationship with the pilots has never been uh, good. 
from the very beginning, like I'm telling you, in 1968, they said, we don't want you in our union. They always put themselves above us. Father Like they were re- un- unreproachable. Reproach- Father figures. Irreproachable. And uh, they never wanted to work with us. They always wanted that cockpit door dividing us. And they still, to this day in 1986, it's worse now than ever. Well, but in other airlines, it's not like that. So even now, with you flight attendants on strike, the pilots are not with you. Oh, no. Absolutely oh, They hate us. Yeah. I can tell you, even a year ago, uh, now the job has changed over the years. And when I started, we didn't have things as skyjackings. We didn't have bombs on airplanes, things like that. Uh, but about a year ago, uh, I found a package on a seat. This is be- prior to the passengers getting on. And it was a shoebox size, and it was marked fragile, but no passengers were on board. It's a perfect size for a bomb. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went downstairs. This was on a 747, so I went downstairs, and I talked to the agent, and I said, what is this package? He says, I don't know. He says, I'm sure it's just interline. It came down from another flight. And I said, this is the starting point of this flight. It couldn't have come down from that. And he says, don't worry about it. I did worry about it. Um, so I took it, then I went to the cockpit, and I said, Captain, I said, I found this package. I want to know what it is before these passengers get on. I don't want, you know, something that's not supposed to be here. And that's one of the things we're taught. You know, you look for the unexpected. And he said, look, <coughs> why don't you do your job and get me my coffee? Mm. He said that. And quit worrying about that. Yes, come And I ahead. was hot. So I just calmed down. I walked out of the cockpit took a couple minutes and then I walked back into the cockpit and I said captain I said I want to get something straight right now I said my job is not getting you coffee that is a fringe benefit for you I said my job here is safety for the passengers then I serve the passengers and then you get served I said that is not my job and I walked out of the cockpit and this was in London by the way which is very prevalent (coughs) I've gone through several bombs in London I was there the day. Oh, really? Yes. Um, I've been there the day that uh, they killed the horses and everything. Uh, and I happened to be w- within a block of that that bomb. So it's not an area where, hey, we're in London. This the could be a bomb. What, did you ever react to what you did? Well, oh. I walked out of the cockpit. And uh, a little later, I got called back up there. And I thought, well, here he comes now. Because I knew I had to calm down first before I talked. I gave him time to calm down. And when I went up there, he did apologize. I don't know the reason for his apology. I don't know if it was because of the engineer and the uh, first officer being there um, or whether it did sink in. But that's the normal reaction of pilots, even today. I mean, this is less than a year ago. And I had that same reaction to pilots 20 years ago. Is this the same on all airlines? Yes, I think it is. United Airline pilots talked to me during the strike, and they said to me, you know, we didn't get along with our girls any better than your pilots did until we were in your position. And now, because of our flight attendant support during our strike, we realize that we better get labor all together on the same team, or we're not going to win. If you are good little girls and you don't make waves, they will put their arms around yeah. you, they'll protect you, they'll carry your bag. Yeah. But don't be an equal. If you try to be their peer or their yeah. equal, yeah. then you're in trouble. As far yeah. as labor is concerned, I always like to refer to them as the only management group with a, with a union. That's very funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think they ever forgave us for growing up. No. Yes. You know, yeah. they, they liked us when or we were 18, married. 19, 20 years old, <laughs> and we go out to dinner on a layover maybe together and uh, talk and chat, and they could give it a shot and whatever. But then once we got married and we were no longer listening to those lines and lies and whatever, then they started becoming resentful. Yeah. There was no one there to inflate the their egos. Changing. And then when yeah. the men came, yeah. when, when we and first when started, flight when male flight came, that right. did it. When the rules started changing, when what? Well, when I started, you know, you had to sign a paper saying that you would quit at 32. Uh, then the rules started changing. Okay, you could be married. You could have children. People started staying in the job. These pilots were brought up on flight attendants who stayed a year, two years, three years maximum. I mean, you were old-timer if you had three years and. Uh, with this company and all of a sudden these same young kids that they were trying to get into bed uh, a few years ago yeah. started staying they weren't getting the new ones so they could try yeah. to change several it. things in this the sexual aspect of course these are oh, yeah. pretty kids mm-hmm. oh, it's, oh, it's yeah. the great, overtone it's the uh, whole overtone of our a, relationship right. 
That, of course. To come up to the country. That, I assume, of course. That's the prerogative. Yeah, right. But then as you grow up, a sense of, end of as, as Cappy was saying, never forgave you growing up. That's it. Mm-hmm. Ah, so now, I'm sure this applies to all airlines. Though it's true, on right. the uh, Continental, pick, I'm picking when they were picketing, the pilot and the, and the flight attendant steward were on the picket line together. Yes. But that came out fighting, of... Fighting bankruptcy. That's money. Yeah, yeah, so that's, they had a joint <laughs> cause. Yeah. But basically, but this it is might it. Have helped. They See, might have a better relationship because of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. we've yeah. never fought with yeah. our guys. Yeah. Our, you know, our, our men for like a common cause. They yeah. have never even yeah. gotten close to strike. Really? You know, it's they sign their contract a year before it's due. Wow. You know, I mean, they're ones who, whatever the company wants, yeah. give it to them. That's it. They're, well, they're see, but they have men, something to give back. We don't. These men, too, like, like we leave a job that's going to pay us top monthly salary of uh, $1,700 a month, $1,800 a month, we can go out and basically within a few years, we can work to replace mm-hmm. that. These these gentlemen are earning anywhere from, let's say, $40,000 a year at the very lowest to, to uh, let's say, $150,000 a year. They know that if they don't buckle under the company yeah. and they are out on the street, they're not going to make that kind of money selling cars. And they are no more qualified to do Men, you know anything else yeah. than uh, yeah so they're 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 yeah. running yeah. scared they and most of our pilots i don't know about other airlines but most of ours were men who were trained during the war yes and they're still here kathy and marcia and barbara and marlon joy here your own development throughout now the pilots to you when you first joined were glamorous figures weren't they I think, they? I think they yeah. were because they were they, they were authority they figures. Were authority. They were in command. They wore a uniform. They were impressive, and but as Kathy was saying, as we were growing up, yeah. and we were growing up. I grew up. I became world knowledge because of the airlines. I traveled different places. I met interesting people I would never ever have a chance to meet. I mean, even though I served him coffee, it's, you know, sometimes I got down to, you know, sat down and talked to him. And I learned a lot. I became grown up, mature. Yeah. And, um, and then I started looking at them and realizing, these are some people I don't even like, you know, yeah. <laughs> let alone awe. respect. Yeah. And, and as I was, you know, then I was making <laughs> friends with some and maybe just acquaintances with others. And the interesting thing about the strike now I have friends that I've had for the last 18, uh, 16, 18 years, and these friends, quote unquote, have not, never even called Pilots. me up to find out Isn't that Pilots. whether Pilots. I was okay. Not whether we agreed on the mm-hmm. issues or, or what yeah. happened, Can I but we were hand? friends, mm-hmm. and they've never even called up to say, are you okay? Mm. In five months, they have not even called, and yet... That's the kind of relationship we had when we saw each other. We'd hug each other. Hi, what's going on? You know, I'd learn about their family problems. I'd learn about their kids. Whatever was going on. Because you, to them, now are this little girl they once knew who's now grown well, to be a troublemaker. Like, no, they're scared. They're <laughs> no, kind of not what you We're like the ex-wives. Yeah, the yeah. ex-wives. You see, because That's another I problem. Felt, a lot of us yes. are ex-wives exactly. of pilots. Oh, really? Yes. That's right. And so there's a natural resentment then among among the pilots towards flight attendants because we represent their exes. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, when we when I started with TWI, I could see it like it was like a marriage. And our relationships exclusively the TWA flight attendants pilots was like a bad childhood marriage. We went into it, we were all dependent and we depended on them, they had authority. Then all of a sudden when we got the union, we we grew up and we became intradependent. When we became independent, they resented us. And that's why they feel like they do now because we stood up and some of them said they never thought that they they could do what we are doing now mm-hmm. and so many of us married them not me but yeah. many of us married them and that is a problem Did we're at united there was a, none of no. you united their marriage as i would call it their marriage worked out because they worked their problems <laughs> yeah, out yeah. they became closer together it's like yeah. you know you either get a divorce you get together it's you the flight attendants your story attitudes toward them is important because they are authority because come back to Cappy's point never check never did you challenge authority well you know this job sort of makes you question authority yeah. because you start out <clears throat> people have great misconceptions about 
the type of people who are flight attendants. They look at women who smile and pour coffee mm-hmm. and, and, you know, basically cajole people and, and who, are, who are union workers who, who, who run in little groups with three men around mm-hmm. them and Always really depend protected. and want to marry wealthy men. And mm-hmm. really, flight attendants may start out that way, women, but they're basically women who want to get out into the world. You are, you are on your own. I mean, I was dumped from Sheboygan, Wisconsin into New York City in a rat trap hotel in downtown Manhattan and said, your assignment for tomorrow is to find your way to Kennedy Airport. You know, and, and I, we've grown into very, very dependent, self-reliant people. Independent. Yeah. I'm, pardon independent, me. Yeah. Independent, you self-reliant notice, you people. You know, when I, when I made the, the switch, whenever we used to have TWU and, and the company, it would be contract time, and the company would come out with their line of why they needed their concessions, and the union would come out with their group of reasons why we couldn't give them. And then after it was all settled, we'd look back and I would look to see who had been telling me the truth through mm-hmm. the whole thing. And so many times the things the company said about, oh, we're on the verge of bankruptcy, we're not going to make enough money, would turn out to be a lie. But with TWU, a lot of the things the union said to me were not true or accurate either. And when we founded our own union of just us flight attendants, the people that were representing me were people that I knew. And when they talked to me, they told me the truth. And I could go back then and compare after contract negotiations, and, and the company would say, like Icon, hey, we're going broke tomorrow. And then I can read in the Wall Street Journal where he's got a billion-dollar war chest over in the corner, and he's not going yeah. bankrupt. And, and you can't, and you it's can't, comparing what they yeah. said yeah. during negotiations and what turned out to be the truth later See, on and that, that fact, started getting me going. That fact prevents you from being the naive person they hired. Right. You can't be the naive now, person. You have to grow. Did you have a dream when you first broke in here that you one day be able to read the Wall Street Journal and see something and tell this guy is lying. No. See what I'm talking about? No. That's what I'm talking Never about. Never even read so a Wall Street Journal. Right. You pick up like a, a Wall dream. Street Journal. We do, mm-hmm. and we have yes. for years. Yeah. That's yeah. the point, yeah. you know? We've changed. This feels we like have, a dream. We have grown up. We're, we're not, we you know, you see us on stuff. an airplane on when we're sitting between yeah. flights and we're not reading romantic novels. We're picking up yeah. the papers, you know, we're, we're reading school books. No, but I mean, this, I'm thinking about questioning those guys. Sure. This guy's lying through his teeth. We, at a certain point that Cappy's talking about, you know, everybody gets coined with something, the troublemaker. We realize that TWA management people, they lie to us. That is their way of communicating with us is to, first of all, lie to you. And second of all, we were talking about this yesterday, never give you negative reinforcement. Studs, you did a good job, but uh, do me a favor, that coat doesn't look good. It's not a regulation. Instead of just that positive reinforcement. And when you keep negatively reinforcing somebody, it makes you question it. Yeah. 